Let us pray. Holy Spirit, pour upon us wisdom and understanding that being taught by your Holy Scripture, our hearts and minds may be open to receive all that leads us to life and holiness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 6 through 16. Hatach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hatach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatach and gave him a message from Mordecai saying, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone, may that person live. I myself have not been called to come in to the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at such a time as this, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The word of the Lord. So four years and one day ago, today, uh, I actually started my first day here at Swickley Presbyterian Church. I didn't know this until the other week, um, someone had mentioned how uh, it just seemed like yesterday I'd gotten here. And so as I was reflecting on my journey here, uh, what got me here, there were a couple scary thoughts. One is that I've been here as long as I was in college. Um, another is that um, I look very different now than what I looked like in college. Those that remember from my first visit here, um, uh, four years ago in July, I had uh, very long hair, and uh, I have thus uh, changed styles. That's clearly the only reason that it's no longer there. Um, but as I reflected on my journey here and how I got here four years ago, it, it was a pretty difficult one internally, uh, because there were a number of different factors uh, working into my decision uh, to move to Pittsburgh. And, and the biggest one is that this job seemed perfect for every reason except for uh, that it was going to bring me away from all of my friends and my family um, that I'd known my entire life. 
And yet I knew in my bones this is where I was supposed to be. And yet I still dragged my feet for like two and a half weeks uh, saying, ah, I think I just need another few days to pray about this. Thanks for your patience. And yet I knew what I was supposed to do and I wanted to prolong it because maybe if I prolonged it long enough, I'd be able to do something else. Maybe I could convince myself that there was another way. Maybe I could find some other plan, but I didn't. And so after a few sleepless nights, I finally decided to come and uh, I moved out here with my dad. Um, It was a pretty funny trip uh, for a number of reasons. I'm happy to tell those stories later. Uh, But the journey here was not one that I wanted to take, and yet I knew it was the journey I had to take. I knew what I was called to do, and I knew I didn't want to do it. And so I felt my, my own story uh, reverberating through Scripture uh, about these different prophets, these different disciples that knew the right thing to prolong their decision not to do it as long as possible. And so when I think about scripture, I'm always amazed by the way that history repeats itself. And you'd think after having scripture for as long as we have, we would have learned a thing or two. But as I look through the grand story uh, of how scripture unfolds, and particularly for Israel, um, in the Old Testament, uh, there are all kinds of things that are happening all the time. So Israel went from this tiny little nation to this great nation with kings that united them for a whopping three kings until they decided they had so many differences that they just couldn't be united anymore and they split into north and south. The two tribes, 12 to 2. And the north was conquered. And then we read stories about the south being conquered by Babylon, and it started this time period known as the exile, this time of being shunned from their land, of being taken out of the place they called home and into a new place. And and there's a famous passage uh, that describes this experience where the people cry out, how can we worship our God in a foreign land? Because Israel believed that God was was somehow geographic. It was very common to peoples of that time that they believed that the might and power of their God was demonstrated by their ability to win wars. And so if you won wars, then your God was right. And if you lost him, well, your God was not the best. And certainly if you're outside of the area that your God had given you, then what did you have left? Israel had a temple. They had the promised land and they were taken from it by Babylon. But beyond Babylon, Babylon didn't just go on ruling forever. They also lost. And so our story today in Scripture picks up with Persia being in charge and Persia inheriting the Jews. And we read about this Persian king in the story of Esther. It's a fascinating book. And the Persian king is going and he's, he's throwing a banquet and he ends up divorcing his wife and after a few other dominoes fall, he chooses Esther, this Jewish woman, to be his wife. But he doesn't know she's a Jew. That's the twist. And so as his advisor Haman creates this decree to tell people to bow down and worship and pay homage to the king, Esther's uncle Mordecai refuses to do so. 
And he knows what the consequences are for refusing to worship and pay homage to a king, and yet he chooses to do it anyways. The interesting thing here is that there's no plan uh, for the Jews after they had been captured. You know, we have scripture here. We have 66 books of scripture that we read through and we study and we meditate upon, and they did not pass around uh, the Bible the way we do today. They were trying to figure out what is life supposed to be in a foreign land when they think that their God has lost his power. What do we do next? And I think we all know what that experience is like, right? We all know what it's like to have a set of plans in place, our, our five-year plan, our five-minute plan. Where are we going to eat lunch today? Uh, everything is great in life if it all goes according to plan, especially you could even plan for their plan, but only for short periods of time. But the moment that something has come into life that throws a wrench in your plans, it's chaos. Any new job you get, any new relationship you begin, any new place that you live, it's uncomfortable for a time, but eventually we find our rhythms and we find what's comfortable and we get used to it, we look forward to it until the plan has gone awry. What then? What do we do when we don't know what we're supposed to do. And for Esther and Mordecai, there was no uh, extra Ten Commandments in case you got conquered by Persia and Babylon. They're trying to worship God in a foreign land, and they don't know what comes next. But when Mordecai was told to bow down and pay homage to the king, he was pretty sure that wasn't on the agenda. And so he refused And that brings us to our story today. Mordecai heard of the decree from Haman. Uh, He had convinced the king that these Jews were an unruly people. They have their own laws. They don't listen to us. So we need to get rid of them. They're a threat to your authority. They're a threat to your power. And so we need to get rid of the Jews. The king agreed, and Haman sent out the decree. And so our text today picks up where Mordecai is pleading with Esther to please go in. Our last resort is for you to use your position to speak with the king. An important note, again, that's mentioned in the text is that for Esther to go into the king's inner court and speak to him without being beckoned in is is a crime punishable by death. And yet that was the only option for survival. So Esther really had two positions. One, be the most powerful woman in in this kingdom, live a life of luxury and comfort, or put her life at risk for a last resort plan that probably wasn't going to yield the results she was hoping for. And of course, we know what the right answer is here, right? It's a pretty simple story structure. Oh, this big idea or that big idea. And Esther, uh, spoiler alert, she does choose to go in, and the king hears her plea. It's a great story, so please go read it. But today, I want to focus on Esther's resolve, that as she was confronted with the opportunity to do what is easy and to do what is right, when she didn't know what she was supposed to do, she did not choose the easy route. 
And thus comes her famous line, her character-defining phrase, if I perish, I perish. And when we look at Scripture, when we look at the stories that were, are going on and on from character to character and book to book, there's this resolve to do what is right as opposed to what is easy. So doing research uh, on, on such a text, there, there was a film that came out last fall. Um, you may have heard of it. It's called Frozen 2. And... Um, I had heard a lot of good things about this film. I had heard it was just a masterpiece. And so for pure research purposes, I decided to go to the Tull Family Theater and just really take some notes. I needed to know. It was a pretty, you know, I don't get embarrassed too easily, but I was embarrassed that evening. It was a Friday night. Go to the Tull alone. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, Knives Out is on your left. And I was like, I'm not here for Knives Out. And he looked at me like he was concerned. He went, oh, here you go. So I go in, and uh, there's a couple teens I know. Luckily, it's a dark theater. They didn't see me. Um, And I'm watching this movie and getting, quite honestly, a little emotional as I watch Frozen 2. And I'm struck by the little nuggets of wisdom that, that meant so much to me in my life in that moment. And there's this, this recurring theme that begins. There's some grandiose problem, and they have to go on an adventure like every Disney movie. And they go to the elders. They say, what are we supposed to do? The stars aren't talking to us. And the elder says, the only thing you can do when you don't know what to do, the next right thing. And I, I was thinking about this phrase, the next right thing. Well, how do you know what the right thing is? And we think about God's will like it's this mysterious puzzle that we can't seem to solve, that we're constantly like, God, please answer us. Tell us something. And we think about the big ideas, like what job will I take? Am I moving to Pittsburgh away from friends and family? What, what person should we be in this friend group with? Which college should I choose? Which major will I choose? If I don't make the right decision today, my whole life's ruined. We can get dramatic when we get in our own heads for too long, or I can, at least. But if we were to reframe the way we thought about God's will... And to not these big, big pictures and big ideas, but rather, what is God's will for you right now? What is the next right thing to do today? Because we think about the big things, and and usually we don't want to bother God with these small things, but the reality is these small things become the big things. They shape the way that we understand what comes next. And it's because Mordecai and Esther had internalized what they knew to be true throughout generations, despite being in a foreign land, that when there was no playbook, there was no new passage of Scripture to encourage them, there was no plan, they knew that they just had to do the next right thing. I wonder what our church would look like, both literally and globally, if we all chose to do what we knew was right and not what was easy. Because there are all kinds of morals we have in life that are great on paper. They're great to tell our friends about until we have to practice them. Feed the poor unless you were going to use that cash for something else. 
love your neighbor as yourself unless they keep talking politics. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you unless they're really bad, in which case hate is on the table. We have all kinds of verses that we memorize. We have all kinds of morals we claim to hold to except for when we don't want to. And the problem is that all throughout church history, there have been moments where we have written down what we believed and we've done something else. That's why we have a time of confession every Sunday together, because we know that we fall short. But what would happen if we did what we knew was the next right thing? When we look at the story of Esther, there's so much more going on than simply Is she going to live a life of luxury, or is she going to go have a hard conversation? She put her life on the line. She let her morals catch up to her actions, and there was no longer a question of, like, do you believe something or do you live it out? The rubber met the road. But again, life is not typically about those big decisions. There are all kinds of smaller ones where we will have hard conversations and we have to decide what is the right thing to do here. The most beautiful part of the book of Esther to me is not the hard decision. It's not the, the comical twist in how the story unfolds. It's that out of all of the books in Scripture, Esther is the only book in our Bible that does not mention God once. This created historical debates. Should we include this writing in our scriptures, holy scriptures, God's word, if it doesn't speak about our God? Obviously, we have it, and we've read it, but to me, what makes that beautiful is that Esther represents what so much of our lives feels like most of the time, is that we believe in God, we follow God, and yet we feel like we don't hear him. And so the question is, what do you do next when you don't hear from God? This is what historically has been called the dark night of the soul, when everything falls apart, when you have no hope left, and you don't even feel like you hear God's voice, what then? For Esther and Mordecai, They had one more plan, and that was to do the next right thing. And I think in our own lives, as we navigate through uncharted territories, whether it's a virus or a failed relationship, whether it's a job that you lost or financial hardships, whether it's a friendship you thought would be there forever and it's gone, or it's just mental health deteriorating, when we feel like there's no hope left, what do you do next? I would love to believe that I was able to embody the resolve that Esther and Mordecai showed in this story, but honestly, oftentimes that is not the case. We fall short. We know the right thing to do, the right thing to say. We know that we haven't been praying. We know that we haven't been caring for those that need it most. We know that we are justifying our excuses not to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ around us. And we miss the mark. But if we have the resolve to say that we're going to do the right thing, and if I perish, I perish. 
It is not a popular thing to do what is right. Very seldom does what is right overlap with what is easy. Those things almost are never the same. And I confess that far too many times in my own life, I have chosen what is easy over what is right. But now more than ever, the spotlight is on the church of Jesus Christ to look at the way that we care for and treat one another. Again, I'm struck by the early church when the emperor sent his advisors to go figure out what these Christians were all about. They came back and said, it's bizarre. They give all that they have to the poorest among them. They pray for one another. They love. No one goes hungry. We can't explain it. How far have we come? It only takes a few political arguments and a few scary moments that challenges our faith to the point where we throw all of our beliefs out the window. We say one thing and we do another. But what if instead we chose to move forward to do the next right thing? This story ends, this exchange ends with Mordecai and Esther going back and forth. Don't you understand the gravity of the situation? Yes. Don't you understand that if you don't do something now, there's nothing left? And for Mordecai, the words that he uses are words that have been echoing through my head for a few months now. He says, who knows? Maybe you've been brought to royal dignity for such a time as this. Who knows, maybe you have found yourself where you are today for a reason. Maybe there is something only you can do through the power of Jesus Christ with the situation and circumstances you find yourself in now. And the question is, what will you do? What will I do? But for such a time as this, it is clear that the church is needed to step forward and lead in love now more than ever. And if we fail to do that, we fail to be the light in the world that Jesus called us to be. And if we perish, we perish. But we have to understand that if our faith is only good for reciting through songs and prayers and conversations, but they don't translate to how we live, and it's just word service. And so when we look at the story of Esther, we look at the dark night of the soul, we look at when things seem most hopeless, we have to choose to do the next right thing. And the beauty of our faith is that none of us are isolated, none of us are ever called to do this thing alone because we can't of our own strength. The Spirit is with us. The Spirit is moving us. And the Spirit is calling us forward. But not only that, the body of Christ, the community of believers, both Swickley Presbyterian Church, whether you're at home or at work or outside, but the churches in Swickley, the churches in Pennsylvania, the churches in this country, in this world, we are all part of the same body. Some of us wish we weren't. But that's because we're imperfect. We're on this journey together to do the next right thing. And the world is watching.
So what will you do next? Amen.